This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 104 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a woman who is an endurance champion and also is given back, and then we have some really great tips for you, keeping your horse healthy all the way through 2018. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me to help today. Hi, Jen. Greetings. How's Debbie today? Oh, I'm having so much fun. I am having... You know what? It is so beautiful out right now. I'm going riding after this. Oh, you so, lucky clam so, you. I know. So if I have my brain halfway here, you'll understand why. I just <laughs> It's beautiful out. It stopped raining. I know it only rains every five years. In every California, five but, years. It stopped. Yay. It, it denied us a day outside. So, so I'm going out to celebrate now. Yeah. Going to go riding. But, gonna go riding yeah, so, are, are you going to go out riding solo or are you going to go out riding with pals? Riding with pals. I got a couple of gals friends that um, we're going to go out trail riding today because it's probably dry enough by now. <laughs> it just soaks right up. That's exciting. It's always yeah, a great way it's... to uh, end your day. I did not ride today. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I went fox hunting last night, yesterday afternoon, and we were out okay. for about four hours and there was no walking. So I'm a little sore, sore and creaky and I suspect <laughs> Nigel is too, so I did not ride today. <laughs> yeah, leave him alone. He can't pop the Advil, but you can. There you go. Yeah, I, I, he's probably less sore than I than I am. He's much. Isn't that unfair? How quickly our horses get fit and we don't. That's true. I can always tell my pads, my saddles, everything. Yes. They just they can very yeah. little. Yeah. It's, I, that's just the the breed. I, I mean the the species. I think you know. I think horses have to get fit really well, fast. Yeah, they, they don't spend any time sitting at a desk. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Yeah, they don't spend any time so, how do you get Nigel fit? You, you're you're going to do some endurance this year. Yeah. Oh, you, yes, it, I I had um, I was all ready to send in my entry for an endurance ride. Was it two weeks ago? Yeah. And he bruised a foot. So that was out. Oh, yeah, he had, to yeah. t- had a week off. So that was out, but he w- didn't lose a whole lot of fitness in that week. Um, we do tons of walking because that keeps um, the systems fit, you know, keeps the tendons tight and things like that. And just this summer, I started adding in some more and more trot sets. And what I mean by I use, I use a technique called interval training where you trot or canter for a period of time, three, five, seven minutes, and then you take a break and you walk for a period of time, which is much shorter, two, three, four minutes, and then you go Mm -hmm. back to trot. And what you do is you incrementally stress the cardiovascular system and their respiratory system to help it get fitter. And you stress it, but you never get it to the point of being exhausted, and then you let it partially recover, and then you stress it and partially recover, and you repeat that. And that's the uh, the method I use. And he's he's really pretty darn fit right now. Good, yeah. good. So, what's your next? What's the next calendar date? I believe it's in it's in February. Okay, and I don't yeah, remember. It's right middle of February, and there's one right close here uh, at the Florida Horse Park, which is like a 20 minute drive. From oh yeah, me. good. Yeah, and this one, I'm going to be entering. There's lots and lots. It gets confusing for people. There's many different types of um, competitive trail and endurance races and rides. An endurance race is literally a race. Fastest mm-hmm. guy across the finish line wins. Uh, providing he passes the vet check throughout in that he's never overly stressed or exhausted or lame. He wins. Um, A competitive trail ride is an optimum time race in that you you have to cover the distance within a prescribed optimum time, but you still have to pass all the vet exams. So you can, you can come in on the time, but if you are, if your horse's pulse doesn't go down fast enough or something like that, you get points deducted. 
And uh, that's that's the type of race that I'm going to be entering in February. The original one was, was a proper race race. The one I'm going to be going to is a optimum time type of competition. It's, this is more of a, I'm going to test the waters. I have no intention of worrying about whether I come in first, middle, or last place. Uh, I don't want to be that girl. I want to kind of like know the rules. Mm-hmm. I want to not fall off. Good. That's a good goal. <laughs> I don't want to break any really, really bad etiquette rules either. That's my goal. I just want to test the waters because I've never watched one. I've never attended one. Oh, So this is all very new to me. So I'm going to give it a go. And I'm very excited about it because uh, even after four hours of not walking, we used other gates that were not walk for four hours. He got back to the trailer and he was freaking fresh as a daisy. Oh, gosh. It's just not fair. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, there. Well, he's he is a thoroughbred. Did we say that? Yeah. So you know, yeah. And you'd never know it when he's at home. When I'm hacking him around the neighborhood, he's kind of a putz. He just plods along. Yeah, here we go. Do 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 do. Don't they? Yeah, because aren't aren't there racehorses that don't they don't train well, but they race well, or vice versa? (sighs) Don't racehorses come that way? I guess it depends on what you mean by train well. well like, when, but, you, um, when you train them, do you have to take a buddy out with them or they don't want to worry about running? Mostly. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got that going. Mostly. Yeah, yeah they, I mean, it's a little bit like, it's like, they're, they're so smart, but it's a bit of an immaturity in them. They just, you know, they're just a, a very, you know, they're very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, it's, it's Nigel, a won't, cliche, Nigel won't really listen are. to this episode. It's okay. Say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The, the thermos are wonderful, but, but growing up with them, I mean, that was pretty much my whole growing up period yeah. was around thermos. We rode the quarter horses. We showed the quarter horses. Actually, my I had a quarter horse, quarter horse thoroughbred that really? I showed uh, a pleasure. Yeah, he was wonderful. But, um, but he was really low key too. You know, he was just wonderful. And these thoroughbreds are kind of like you'd look over and just want to roll your eyes, like, oh, silly. You know, yeah, they do. So they do get a get a little bit of a drama roll, don't they? A little bit of a drama roll, yes. But but beautiful, smart, athletic. Oh my gosh, they're just worth it. You know. So I admire them. I love thoroughbreds. I mean, I, there's a little. It's a funny thing because I think I heard. Jamie Jennings say this on on your show on the horses in the morning that she used to be a complete advocate of thoroughbred love thoroughbreds and that she's she's thinking about Mustangs pretty hard now as being a thoroughbred <laughs> and there's something you know it's kind of funny it's a funny thought because they don't look anything like it or perform anything like it but they have this side of them that's just super intelligent super um, generous and and you know ambitious they just want to be doing things and they they get them done and so yeah. there there's a I like Mustangs too so it's it's yeah. a little I've never I've never had a Mustang or had the opportunity to work with them or take care of them or anything but I know with thoroughbreds for the most part they desperately want a job yeah. they want to accomplish something and, and whatever that something is had best better include some physical exertion yes yeah. And speaking of exertion, Mary Howell, our first guest, is putting a lot of energy into helping folks discover the fun of endurance riding. And we're going to chat with her right after this from Omega Fields. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. 
Mary Howell, the AERC Chair of the Membership Committee in Richmond, Virginia, is leading the AERC to reinvigorate their mentor program. Mary is also looking for more mentors from the Southeast region, and her team is working on Trail Partners. That's a page on the AERC.org website for those that are lacking the experience or comfort level to take on the role of mentor, but they would like to get a toe in the water with the AERC and start helping some of these students and young people come along on the AERC. You can follow Mary and her American Endurance Writers Conference students on her blog at countshiloh.blogspot.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Well, welcome, Mary Howell. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thanks for agreeing to give this interview. My pleasure. Well, Mary, you are the AERC chair of the membership committee, which is why we have you on the phone, because we want to help endurance endure and grow. And I read some things about some of the programs you guys are doing there to increase, but I like to get to know more about endurance. Endurance seems to be this, you know, um, I don't know, iconic. It's been around a long time. I've interviewed um, Heather Reynolds, who's ridden the Tevis, and Beverly Gray, who's just iconic as well. And mm-hmm. you now, you now, I mean, you've been at this how many years? 20 years? I got involved in the late 90s uh, before social media and even really a lot of internet information. Um, I read about the Old Dominion one-day, 100-mile ride uh, in a horse encyclopedia type book. There was exactly one sentence devoted to endurance, and I thought, wow, that must be an amazing uh, feat to ride a single horse 100 miles in one day. And, of course, it dates back to the cavalry that, um, you know, before there were mechanized transport, uh, the cavalry needed to cover long distances, and they, they taught and developed horses. And, of course, one of the things that helped get our sport started was a concern that in the modern era, horses were losing their uh, sport abilities. They, they mm-hmm. were being bred for beauty and not necessarily to be able to have stamina. And um, so I got really lucky with the first horse I ever bought after I got my first job. Um, he was a really tough guy. He's still going strong at age 25, and I have over 5,000 wow. miles. But um, the sport can have a rocky uh, path for, for folks. Um, many different types of horses can be used in the sport. Um, Arabians are high-spirited often, but they, they do tend to make it easy. But the um, thing that I find the most amazing is how, especially in my part of the country, I see so many other breeds and more and more gated horses, about 8 or 9% of all our uh, registered horses are gated. But, but yeah, the sport helps get us back to the relationship I think people had with horses for centuries. And um, yeah. I treasure that time with my animals. I, I'm glad to hear you say that too, because that is, I mean, we advocate for on this show uh, for keeping horses in our lives for so many different reasons, but that's as good as one as any is that, that relationship uh, that the trust between a rider, but it's an intimidating equine sport, endurance riding. Uh, I mean, it's the shortest distance I think is like 25 miles long, right? And it when is you're talking intimidating about when you're getting started. <laughs> I, um, I, there's a steep learning curve and green bean has, so many features that help uh, no matter what background you come from, whether you were, you know, a dressage rider, a fox hunter, you did Western speed events and you hear about the sport and you want to give it a try. Green Bean um, offers a lot of resources to help. I, I certainly learned a lot of things the hard way back in the late nineties without a group like Green Bean. I remember, um, you know, the, the not, really understanding the rules and feeling very stressed out when I'd get to a ride. What are all the things I need to do to get ready and, and how to um, crew my horse properly. And, and over the years, I've, I've gotten a little more <laughs> relaxed, but, but Green Bean, um, at one of their hallmarks is there's more than one way to learn about and enjoy our sport. And so they're, they're a very open platform that gives a lot of types of support to people. Even when you have those invariable setbacks when things don't go as planned. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of the program that doesn't Mm -hmm. just reward the people um, who, you know, get off on a good foot and get lucky, but it really helps uh, folks that, um, you know, might need a little extra help. Uh, My friend Mm -hmm. Joe down in Surrey County, Virginia, um, made a lot of changes and and he finally started having some success, uh, but I give him a lot of credit for sticking with 
the program, <laughs> sticking with our yeah. sport after the things he's gone through. Well, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the things so that, it, you know, the mystery is mm-hmm. peeled back a little bit, too. So, Green Bean, you're talking about this new program that I read about that's um, it's mm-hmm. sort of a m- mentorship. Would you put that name on it? Green, it's it's made for the, it's named after the ribbons that you put in the tails of the horses. You weave into the tails of the horses or tie into the tails because um, they look like green beans. But you kind of mean like a green writer or a green competitor. Well, the green bean program got its start in the Pacific Northwest as a, as a support group for newer riders. They have a regional organization there and some other uh, parts of the country because social media can be spread everywhere, learned about it. And they, in 2015, so just three years ago, started to formalize it into um, an actual program that had you know, kind of rules and parameters. So it's for any new member in our sport of our sanctioning organization who has under a thousand miles. And that can take anywhere from a couple years if you're able to get to a lot of rides to, you know, five or more years. So it's a, it's like an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the AERC board of directors knew about the Green Bean program when it got started, but I think in their wisdom, they wanted to sort of see how it played out. Mm-hmm. When um, my friend Amy's husband, Ricky, uh, right after she got married, she got her husband into the sport and he became a green bean. And I started to learn about the program through him and realized that it had a lot of potential to help us with our membership goals. Ricky um, joined the program in a year when they got to about 200 members nationwide. So out of our organization that has about 5,000 members, many of whom like me have years and years and miles and miles in the sport the green beans were already a pretty sizable group when we, the board of directors voted to bring them into AERC as an official program with our, you know, insurance and protections and help in promoting. Mm-hmm. And we've already got 40 new green beans signed up for mm-hmm. 2018 and our membership year doesn't start for another couple of weeks. So we're, we're, we're really excited. We've seen green beans who uh, get, people getting involved in the program who wouldn't have heard about it otherwise if it didn't yeah. become part of AERC. So yeah. we're really excited about what we're seeing already. That's so cute. You guys have such a clever program too. I, I was reading about how you divide the um, as they climb up the experience level. You've got on the vine, which is less than 100 miles completed, picked, which is 100 to 499 miles, and then cooked is 500 to 999 miles. And uh, anybody else over 1,000 miles is miled out? Is that, yes. <laughs> you're yes, no that longer in the front. My, my yeah. friend Deb Moe in Wisconsin, and, and I'm not exactly sure who came up with those great little clever titles, but she has <laughs> a lot of fun managing the website greenbeanendurance.org and their Facebook page. There are regional um, endurance pages and regional Facebook groups, and there's private training groups. But the the um, two public outlets, the Green Bean Facebook page and the Green Bean website, really are a great clearinghouse even before uh, the program became an official part of AERC. And, and Deb gets a lot of credit for giving it that warm, um, kind of quirky personality that, that um, I think helps people really get into the uh, experience and look forward to the different incentives and recognitions that she comes up with. A lot of spontaneous things. You don't have to wait till the end of the year to get recognized. So That's great. That's great. Uh, I have a question about endurance. I'm, I'm learning here too. But, you know, endurance seems to be, it's like, maybe it's a little adrenaline thing, but it's, you know, it's, it's a cool, iconic sport So now. So is it endurance that keeps you excited about it or is it actually the horses that are so amazing that you've come across that keep you going in the endurance competition it's a never-ending learning process i am still learning how to solve little things that come up with the horses i own and figuring out how to do a better job Um, every ride can be its own triumph whether you you know just finish or whether you come in top 10 or you know my big goal is getting best condition. So I never stop mm-hmm. learning. For me, the sport really is, is an antidote to <laughs> the modern world, my job, my personal life. It just is a way to get away from yeah. it all. I literally flip that side of my brain off when I go mm-hmm. to a ride and it just recharges my batteries. It gives me perspective. It, it's helped me develop um, patience and perseverance. And, and I'm really hoping that the green beans, when they, 
get into the program, they'll start to realize the dividends of spending more time with your horse, spending quality time with your horse, uh, hours and hours of quality time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, how, how that's such a healing, um, healing thing. And it, it, it really, I think, makes the horses very happy. Um, we always joke about my, my horse gets angry when the trailer goes out to drive without him, and they hop <laughs> on the trailer like they can't wait to go somewhere. In uh-huh. fact, we'll be loading them around uh, 3 this morning to go to Ohio. Uh, my friend and I are heading to a gobble till you wobble ride. My friend Holly's putting on <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> gobble till you wobble. That is yeah. hilarious. So what, what's the most important thing that you take with you on an endurance ride? I'm not even going to say piece of equipment or anything because I'm not sure you'd well, answer that. Well, it's going to be hot hands because it's supposed to get in the Ah, um, really? The most important thing you take with you, of course, is a sense of humor. You uh, oh, good are going to, for every ride I've ever been to, I've forgotten something. I've had to bank bar a steal or run to Walmart to get what I forgot. <laughs> Nothing ever goes as planned. You plan so carefully. You prepare and you know, you just have to roll with it. Um, one of the biggest lessons I learned early in my career is that the ride is still a success, even if things don't go as planned. I had a, a ride early on where I didn't follow the trail markings correctly. And although I did all the miles, I got what's called completion miles only rather than getting a place to completion. Oh. And I'm just so glad I persevered and enjoyed the day because it was still a very enjoyable day, even though um, I didn't get a placing. I, you know, felt like it was worthwhile, but I certainly learned to um, be very careful, especially when I'm at a ride I've never been at before. Maybe mm. follow someone who knows the trail in case you're a little worried about your ability to read markings. I mean, yeah. What's the strangest thing you've ever seen on a trail? I'm thinking about the, I know the little ribbons and things that people use to to mark the trails, but what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? See, seeing something strange. I'm going to have to think a minute. I will tell you a really great memory was, um, trudging up Milford Gap in Virginia's uh, mountains one fall about five years ago. And a uh, um, riderless horse comes trotting up behind oh. us. And the man behind me couldn't catch him, and I couldn't catch him. But finally, the, 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 the front person, uh, highest up the mountain, off his horse walking, caught the loose horse, and we took apart his bridle to make it a little safer so he wouldn't pull on his mouth, and tied him to a tree. And lo and behold, my friend Don's husband, Dean, it was his horse, and he's running after his horse. You know, it took him about a half hour to catch up um, and got on his horse and finished the ride. <laughs> oh, he finished the ride. Very close. So you, you have these um, unpredictable, out-of-the-blue experiences that can, can change your life as far as um, helping your fellow riders. Um, you know, I've, I've been at rides where, where accidents have happened, and one of the, the classes things. I know my friend uh, Ruth Ann's horse got tangled in some hidden wire up at the Billboard ride in North Carolina. And mm-hmm. my friend Cheryl, she was you know trying to do well on the ride. She put her ride aside and stopped and helped. Had a pair of, um, I think she might have just twisted the wire with her hands, but she was able to get Ruth Ann's horse free and both ladies finished the ride. And it was just a mm-hmm. wonderful uh, bonding experience. So you, you kind of, you know, sometimes your priorities change warning yeah. and it's worth it yeah that yeah i, I bet you have in an endurance riding just by miles alone you must have every experience that any horse yeah. rider has ever had period so um, i will tell you although i yeah. didn't see it um my friend jen was in maine and i had finished my distance it was 100 and i was sitting at the finish line around midnight waiting for my friend from virginia to come in and i didn't see her and didn't see her and i ran and found the ride manager i said something's going on out there we need to drive out so at nighttime, a lot of 100-mile uh, rides will use a, a unpaved road for part of the trail just because it's easier to mark and a little safer for the footing. And mm-hmm. so we were able to drive out to where we found Jen and her horse cornered by a moose. Oh. <laughs> uh, Tom, the ride manager, was able to honk his horn and get the moose out of the way, and, and everything worked out. But oh, I'm just gosh. glad I was because I, I guess the cell phone wasn't working or she didn't have it oh, with her or whatever to hey. call for help. I, I have I seen bears who was more, only on training oh, rides. Uh-huh. I was going to say, who was more afraid? The, the Well, not the moose, but the horse or, or the gal? I, think, <laughs> I don't know. I think Jen's horse was more afraid. Jen's not afraid of much. but uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. You still have to convince your equine partner that it's going to be okay. <laughs> I, exactly, exactly. I can't imagine a moose. And you see bears out there? Oh, my gosh. You're amazing. Yeah, we, 
sometimes when it gets late at night, if you're doing a longer distance, um, you know, there's that DIMR distance induced mental retardation and you can get partly because of fatigue and partly because of things that go bump in the night, you can get a little loopy and, you know, one of the ways to survive the longer distances is to team up with people. And again, you make lifelong friendships from the people that you just by chance happen to uh, spend a hundred miles on trail with particularly yeah. after dark. And, and, you know, um, you know I, strength I, in yeah, numbers. <laughs> I, I bet. I, you know, I noticed um, on your blog, you have a blog that you contribute to a little bit, and there's a mm-hmm. quote from the from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 2, that says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for yeah. by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. How do you live that out? Because I think you talked a little bit about having people over, and you entertain people from all well, over. Well, but- one of the profound realizations for me horses are loved around the world and this sport has given me friends around the country and now friends from other countries i um a couple years ago kind of because of social media uh, took up an offer of a lady happens to be the same age as me in ontario to ride her horse and at that point not a lot of aerc sanctioned rides were being held in canada and I like to think that was the beginning of a growth in our sport in the AERC sanctioned events. Dessa and all her friends have since become, you know, my second family. And I go to Canada every summer for the, ever since with my husband and have a blast vacation mm-hmm. up there. And then um, they'll come and stay with me on their way to rides in South Carolina, Florida, because I'm about halfway I've also enjoyed meeting people from other countries, uh, South America. Um, there was a young man from Qatar who um, was, you know, missing horses from back home. And while he was in school at American University, my friend and I learned him horses. Um, I just met a young Saudi Arabian mechanical engineer who um, lives about 20 miles away from me in Richmond. And he's, he's going to hopefully get to ride in an AERC ride at uh, Thanksgiving. So, the sport can really help you meet a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. other horse lovers from all around the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whether yeah, virtually or wonderful. in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're a cherished, you're just a gift to us, Mary. I so appreciate um, you being able to take the time today. You're a busy lady and sharing so much of your life. I, I'd love to have you back sometime after um, some new adventures that we'd love to hear about. I, I am hoping that Green Bean will help the people getting into the sport have a smoother path. I definitely made a lot of mistakes and uh, got lucky that I had a pretty tough horse, but um, it's gotten a lot more expensive to be a horse owner. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking green bean can be a really for $15 a year, a really smart way to open yourself up to a wealth of uh, ways to learn um, and, and, and have support and, and make the most of the time you spend in the saddle. Mm, wonderful wonderfully said well thank you thank you for joining us on horsemanship radio my pleasure hi carol herder here president of cavallo home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots you know one of the most interesting parts of what i do is the many horsey stories i get to hear most of them are really uplifting some are stories of challenges and a few are downright sad Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Dr. Kenton Morgan, senior veterinarian at the Equine Technical Services of Zoetis, U.S., graduated from the University of Missouri's College of Veterinary Medicine in 1983 and became a diplomat of the American College of Therianologists in 1993, which is the branch of veterinary medicine encompassing all aspects of reproduction.
Prior to joining Zoetis, he practiced equine medicine for 11 years. He's well-known and respected in the equine industry, where he has served on numerous committees and task forces, including the board of directors of the American Association of Equine Practitioners and the Research Committee of the American Quarter Horse Association. Well, welcome, Dr. Kenton Morgan. We did a nice uh, introduction of you, and I, I hopefully I pronounced theriogenology correct. Is that right? You did. You did. Okay. That I practiced, so I should have. But uh, Tell us a little bit about your branch of veterinary medicine or what you studied. Maybe you're doing lots of things now. but Well, I'm, of course, I'm on the industry side now. I'm a technical services veterinarian for Zoetis on the equine part of our business. But, of course, I had several years of equine practice experience in general ambulatory practice and then did a lot of work with brood mares and, and the breeding side of the industry. So that's kind of my background. So both general and, and reproduction is where I've spent most of my time with horses. Well, that's the fun part. I mean, us women, we, we like to hear about all that reproduction and getting new babies in the spring. So, um, you know, we're, we're glad to have an expert on the line. I thought it'd be fun. I saw Zoetis had put out a really nice um, list. I love lists of a monthly equine wellness calendar that every horse owner needs, it's titled. And I thought it'd be fun to use your vast experience and your um, your general science knowledge uh, with Zoetis to kind of take us through the calendar. It's January now, and we're looking, we're probably, you know, knitting and doing quiet stuff like book reading up in the cold climates. So we've got time to kind of lay out our calendar and remind ourselves what we're going to be doing from January all the way to Christmas again. And um, I thought it'd be fun to, if you just tell me, so as have you owned horses yourself, doctor? Certainly. Yeah. So what is it you think about first come January well, for your horses? That time of year, you know, it, it kind of depends on what type of horses you have. If we've got brood mares, there are certain things that we consider, but if we've just got you know, horses that we ride for pleasure or even in the show circuit, we're starting to think about, even though we're not out probably messing with them very much yet in this cold weather, we're starting to think about what we're going to do coming up um, in the early spring. And so this time of year, you know, we still got to consider um, hoof care. When's the last time we had their feet trimmed, that sort of thing. Um, nutrition is important to consider in mm -hmm. the wintertime. Are they getting enough good quality forages? Uh, do we need to give them any grain? You know, the ration needs to be forage based certainly, but, um, consider if they're getting everything they need there and, uh, the basic things, you know, good fresh water make sure it's not frozen, those types of things. And then also internal parasite control. Um, okay. even though the winter time, it's not, it's not a big time of usage, if you will, for internal parasiticides, we need to look back and see, okay, when is the last time we dewormed our horses? Um, talk to our veterinarian and say, okay, what, what does he or she recommend as far as going forward? Do we need to be thinking about deworming the horse this month or can we wait, you know, till a little bit closer to spring? So okay. pull in your veterinarian on those kind of questions whenever we can. Good. Okay. Yeah. Only your veterinarian knows you and your horse as well as anybody. So, so you're prioritizing your, your vaccinations, maybe your, your routines, your, um, when do you, when do you start thinking about dental care in there? You know, the winter is, that's another, thank you for bringing that up. That's another good time to consider that in the winter. You know, things are slow. You're not using your horse, obviously. Um, many times our veterinarians who are providing dental care, that's a really good time of the year for them mm -hmm. to do that because they're not busy with the breeding breeding activities and, and routine vaccination and deworming that they will be in just the next three or four months. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really good time to talk to your veterinarian. We'd like to recommend that that um, particularly all adult horses have their teeth checked every year. Doesn't mean that we're going to need to do something to those mm -hmm. teeth, but we need to have the veterinarian in the mouth of that horse, looking around, giving them a good um, once over and making sure everything's okay. If mm -hmm. the horse horses do require some dental care, then January is a perfect time to think about getting that done. Okay. All right. Um, and then moving on to February, I know this is where if you're really living in a cold climb, you've got to increase if the cold is going down, then uh, the food energy is needing to go up. What do you watch for to maintain weight in your horses? You know, what, what would a real layman, you know, somebody who's new to horses, 
obviously if it goes too long, you're going to notice, but what should they watch sure. for to see if they're maintaining? Well, them? I think, you know, just general, what we call body condition. And I think as you look at that horse, we, we think about things up over their withers, looking up over the withers across their shoulders, mm-hmm. along their rib cage, <laughs> can't talk today, cage, along yeah. the rib cage, mm-hmm. um, their top line, and then up over the croup. We kind of look at all those areas. Now, you know, this time of year, most of the horses, depending on where they live, they're going to have a long hair coat. So you may mm-hmm. need to go out and actually put your hands on those horses to get a better appreciation. But we don't want to start seeing the ribs on those horses, you know, this time of year. These horses, they should have a little extra conditioning right now that helps, you know, keep them warm during the cold weather. And uh, they'll shed those pounds as we start using them uh, in the spring and summer. But they should have some pretty good covering over the ribs, and you can run your hands over those ribs and get an appreciation for that. You know, the ribs should not be real prominent. Um, There should be some covering over the withers. Now, certainly some horses have, you know, straighter, taller withers than others, but give just a pre for what we would call the conditioning or, you know, how much flesh we've got along the back line and then and then over the, the rear quarters as well. And so just looking at those things, putting your hands on them, watching those horses travel directly away from you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of getting an idea of, of how much fill they have. Uh, fullness through the abdomen is, is also important. But, uh, you know, I think that's just in general, anyone can go out and do that. I mean, when those horses are thin, you, you'll be able to notice that. You know, you'll start seeing those ribs even with a hair coat on them. And so um, it, it's, it becomes pretty obvious early on. Good. Okay. All right. And then now we're starting to think about spring and some people are getting ready for some showing or some trail riding and everything. What, uh, what's a wellness exam look like that time of year? You bet. So for a wellness exam, many times veterinarians will have a, a bona fide, what we call a wellness program. And so in the spring they come out And basically what they're going to typically do with most wellness programs, these will vary, but they're just going to do a really good once over, give a good examination to that horse. They're going to check the eyes. They're going to look at the, if they didn't look at the teeth in January, they're going to look at the teeth now in the spring, uh, closer to the spring. We're just going to look at those feet and legs. We're going to watch that horse travel. Just do, you know, a good thorough examination of this horse. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to think about parasite control and immunizations. And, oh, yeah. um, again, you know, hoof care becomes more important as we get closer to using that horse. And so that's something else for us to consider. Uh, is it time to trim those feet again, or is it maybe getting close time to put shoes back on the horse? Those types of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and immunizations that are, kind of, we're talking to the whole United States and outside of that right now, but um, those are generally what some of the denials and um, you bet you mm-hmm. bet we, we typically divide those up into kind of two groups we have what we call the core vaccines okay. or core antigens and then we have the risk-based and this all comes from the aaep american association of equine practitioners they have some really nice vaccination guidelines and they're mm-hmm. just that they're guidelines they're they will vary depending on where your horse is around the country and what you do with them but in general the recommendations are that all horses, no matter what they do for a living or where they live, would get West Nile, Eastern and Western encephalitis, which collectively mm-hmm. refer, we refer to those as sleeping sickness, tetanus, and rabies. Okay. All horses should receive those vaccines. Now, depending on what your horse does for a living and the other horses it's, that maybe it runs with or maybe young horse population, old horse population, these different risk factors – then some additional things that may be indicated for your horse are things such as equine influenza, mm-hmm. equine herpes virus vaccine, or rhino, rhino pneumonitis, um, maybe even strangles, certain mm-hmm. parts of the country, maybe Potomac horse fever, those types of things. So those are the risk-based vaccines. And there again, your veterinarian is the best person to direct you as far as what your specific horse needs each spring. Okay. Um, wh- what do you consider a senior horse? Is there sort of a general age break off where you start saying that's yeah, your senior I horse? I think in general, when we talk about our geriatric horse population, most people use about 20 years of age and older okay. as a cutoff for that. Yeah. Okay. So um, now I'm up to spring and I'm thinking about preparing for throwing them in the trailer and going somewhere. Can you explain all the different ins and outs of Coggins? 
or a health certificate to cross. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, a, uh, a health certificate or a certificate of inspection. Those are typically required anytime we take a horse across state lines. Now, in addition to that, and that's, that's, you know, again, we typically refer to those as health certificates. And basically that's an examination by a veterinarian that says on this day, I've examined this animal and it shows no signs of infectious disease basically Mm -hmm. is in a nutshell what that is. Mm -hmm. And then the Coggins test, that's, um, that actually, some people refer to it as Coggins disease, but it's just a test. Mm-hmm. And it's actually testing for a viral disease in horses, equine infectious anemia, what we call EIA. Mm-hmm. And the Coggins test is how we ascertain if, if a horse may be infected with that particular virus. And so it's very common for most states, when we start hauling horses through other states, most states will require a negative Coggins test within the preceding 12 months to enter their state. Now, having said that, it can vary. Some states it's within um, six months and even within events, they can have stricter requirements. So let's say you're going to a big show somewhere, they could actually require you to have a negative Coggins within the last 60 or 90 days. So those things will vary and it's really good for the, you know, the horse owner to make sure and check those requirements out before they head across state lines. And each of the states, it's real easy to go online to the, uh, typically the state um, veterinary office. It's easy to track that down on the website and they'll give you all the requirements for horses entering their particular state. Okay. All right. That's good. Good information too. And don't forget to take your first aid kits, everybody. Um, I'm thinking about the, the April month now and um, looking at my calendar and I'm thinking that well, the fields start to grow. This is one question I had for you too. The fields start to grow and and everything starts. Do you do anything in your fields? Do you watch for toxic plants? Do you um, worry about the fecal count out there? Okay. Anything that I should know sure. about the fields? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good question. Um, let's start with fecal egg count first. Um, depending on when we last dewormed our horse, mm-hmm. This is a good time of the year to, to think about doing a fecal egg count, having taking either taking a sample into your veterinarian or having when your veterinarian's out for the wellness exam to draw, um, uh, to pick a sample up from each of the horses you have and do what we call a fecal egg count. Uh, they do that typically in their clinic and or they can ship it out to a lab and have that done. And so that tells us kind of how many egg that eggs fecal eggs that horse is shedding each day and that gives us an idea of of how intense our deworming program needs to be for that particular horse or group of horses so that's really important in the spring of the year now the timing of that is also important if we just dewormed our horse you know a few days or a couple three weeks ago we don't want to do a fecal egg count right now (laughs) because that should be very low obviously we want to let that let that time elapse so that we get kind of a baseline, if you will, on on the uh, the number of of parasite eggs that that horse is shedding in the stool each day. So mm-hmm. there again, the timing of that's important, and your veterinarian can tell you when that needs to be done. Now, okay. as far as plants out that. there in the pasture, mm-hmm. you know that's going to vary significantly with where you're at in the country and the type of pasture you're on, how your horses are housed. You know, do they run in in paddocks? Do they run in dry lots or are they out on pastures? And typically most folks will know if they have, you know, in their particular geography, if they have some potential issues with with, um, toxic plants. If if it's a new horse owner or if they're not aware, maybe they've moved to a new area, then obviously your veterinarian and or your county extension agent, both Mm -hmm. of those people are really good resources for you as far as those types of issues with potentially toxic plants in a, yeah, in a pasture that's a setting. Good tip. Yeah, that's a good tip to go to the, the agencies there too. Okay, so now we're in June. We're in full. If you were going to be on your horse, this is the month you're going to spend a lot of time on your horse. And you've got people you out on the trails and you've, you're off to shows and you're mixing it up with a lot of different horses. And I'm thinking about water troughs and ways that you might cross-contaminate And how do you keep your horse healthy in all those situations? And I think, you know, we kind of um, lump this under the term just basic biosecurity, right? And so when we're out with that horse, we want to limit the direct contact they have with other horses. Now, 
some people will kind of chuckle at that, uh, depending on the situation where they're going with the horse. They're going to a trail ride, you know, and they have maybe they break for lunch and all the horses are co-mingled and that sort of thing. I understand and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But there are things that we can do to help limit that exposure. And you brought up an excellent one. And that's sharing water troughs with other horses or water buckets. We really don't want to do that. We want to bring our own water buckets, our own feet pails and pans, and we want to use those exclusively for our horses. We don't want to mix any of those items with other animals. Same way with um, tack, those types of things. You don't Mm -hmm. want to share bridles. You don't want to share halters. Um, Very basic things, but all that that we can do to reduce potential exposure uh, is going to help us avoid potential infection with, you know, infectious agents, particularly the viruses. That's primarily what we're concerned about, the respiratory viruses. And so anything that we can do to limit that contact, it's going to help us. Even where, you know, where we tie our horses up in the evening or to our trailers, um, limit that exposure to other animals in any way that we can and sharing any kind of equipment petting your horse on the nose and then going to somebody else's horse and doing the same thing right. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Not a good thing. Taking some, the little uh, hand wipes that, you know, help disinfect your hands. Mm-hmm. Having a box of those with you in the trailer is That's always a good, a good idea. idea. Yeah. When you get done with your horse, use one of those before you go, you know, and visit your neighbors and same thing when you come back to your horses, um, do the same thing. So any of those very basic things that we can do, washing your hands, Washing your hands, another great way to help reduce uh, mm-hmm. potential transfer of one agent from an animal to animal. Okay. Well, and I heard that, um, so we were talking about 4th of July now. I'm up to July now and and all that goes on. And everybody knows that the dogs go crazy <laughs> with all the fireworks yeah. and all the things that are going on. Right. Uh, right. Is, is there anything that people can do for horses as well? You know, there are some things and uh, certainly common sense things and, and keeping your horses away from those types of activities whenever possible, obviously, is, is uh, paramount to that. Now, there are some things if you have, particularly if you have a, an animal that's very anxious about those kinds of activities or that really upsets them around those types of things, then we do have a, a dermosidan gel. It's a mild sedative that will take the edge off of a horse. Really? It's a chill kind of? We call it a, a gel. gel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. A gel. Mm-hmm. Oh, gel. And uh-huh. um, a gel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you just put it under the tongue of the horse. And again, it's a prescription product. So it's only available through your veterinarian. So, oh, okay. Um, okay. Talk to the horse owner needs to talk to his or her veterinarian and, and say, hey, here's the situation. Do you think that the dermosidan gel would be appropriate for my animal? And if so, you know, that would be a good one to have with you. And in anticipation of the evening of the 4th of July, you might want to have that at the ready and uh, give that okay. to your horse. Or Have that you seen any really non-prescription uh, tricks at all? Like, I don't know, turning up loud music in the stall for a week before and a week after I, something that um, tips that people have done to sort of prepare um, them for loud noises. That one, I'm not, I'm not aware of that one, but that's certainly something that could be done. Kind of okay, sensitize them to those loud noises prior to in yeah. a more controlled environment. Um, mm-hmm. Some horses, certainly there are people that will take the horses. If they got horses out in the pasture in large paddocks, they will put them in the stall um, mm-hmm. the evening of that, you know, or if they anticipate that type of activity. And that's really, there's really less chance of the horse injuring themselves if they mm-hmm. get excited and start, you know, tearing around the pasture, the paddock. If they're in the stall, they're they're less likely to, to run into yeah. trouble and, and injure themselves. Oh, they never try to destroy themselves, do they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Seems yeah. to be a problem. Job security for veterinarians. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. Now I'm in August, and I was thinking about our last August. It was hot. It was really hot. And I was, uh, you know, we're always looking for signs of heat stress. So give us some tips on how to prevent it, how to look for it, things like that about heat stress. Yeah. The, the number one thing is you just want to make sure that all the horses have access to good, clean drinking water all the time. That's the number one most important thing. Okay. And uh, number two, when it really gets hot out there, those horses need some shade. They mm-hmm. need some shade to get under, and it doesn't have to be fancy. It can, you know, if you've got some nice trees in the pasture, that's all they need, or just a run-in shed, or just the shade maybe from a building that they're next to, any of those things are fine. 
but the horses need some shade when it really gets hot. So good clean water and all they want of it and some type of a shade uh, source. Those are probably the two most important things. As far as looking for other things, obviously, just like any time our horse may show signs that something's going on, is if that horse starts to act differently or its behavior changes to what we normally expect. So if that horse is usually pretty social and now it's off by itself, um, maybe you haven't seen it come up to the water, maybe you haven't seen it over in the shade area like the other horses are, any differences um, that should be an alert for us to get that horse up and, and check it out and make sure everything is okay. Okay. So uh, behavioral, and eyes dulled, anything that looks different to you that might yep, be. Yep. And then, okay. you know, one thing that horse owners can do, now this is more for dehydration, mm-hmm. um, which certainly we're concerned about when it really gets hot out there, um, and especially in humid areas where they're, they, uh, they're going to sweat a lot. Um, they can, there's a skin pinch test on the side of the neck. They can just mm-hmm. pinch the skin on the side of the neck, pull that out and just hold it for a couple seconds and then let it go. And it should just go right back. That skin should go right back flat against the neck. Um, just like before they pulled it up just within mm-hmm. a second or two. If it just does, within a second stays, or two. Okay. Yep. If it stays tinted for very long at all, that's an indication that this horse is a little dehydrated. Now, mm-hmm. that's a very rough estimate, but it's something that every horse owner can do. And if we do see tinting of that skin after we release it, that's an indication that there is some, you know, that horse does see, need some, some liquids in its system. Mm-hmm. And if you're traveling, do you throw some electrolytes in there? Um, you know, that's flavor? always a good idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing about any time we're going to add something to the water of the horse when mm-hmm. we're traveling we want to get them used to that before we hit the road, because if we go on the road and we put something new in their water and they're not used to it, sometimes it will backfire on us and they actually won't drink um, as much because it's different. So anytime we're going to do that, acclimate the horse before you go on the road with it so that we know they're going to drink it. Um, Once they get on the road, get in that hotter climate where they really need it. We know they'll Mm -hmm. consume it because we don't want to, we don't want to spring it on them. Um, right. after we're, you know, in another state or a hundred miles from home and then they don't want to drink the water. So we, we want to, we want to plan ahead for that, but electrolytes yeah. are fine. And there again, your veterinarian is a good source of, to recommend, you know, a particular electrolyte. Okay. For you. All right. Good. Yeah. I know they have flavored ones too. We do that, um, just to, so that they don't go to a different water source and then balk at it too. So that if you've got that flavor yep. that can kind of, yeah, mask it, then they'll, they'll, they won't even notice hopefully the change in water. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I've heard of people uh, just changing water. Like you say, when they travel, they know they're going to have a different water source. Some people mm-hmm. will, they'll just put a little bit of Kool-Aid or something just to yeah. flavor the water a little bit at home. So the horse is used to that. And then when, when they have a different water source, they can add a little bit of that that same amount into the horse, it'll taste very similar, and then they'll they'll go ahead and consume the water. Great tip. Great tip. Okay, so that gets us through the heat, and we're already up to about September now and um, starting to think about winter again, so we're almost full circle. But do you do anything seasonally to prepare your stalls? Do you disinfect? Do you change out the footing? Do you do anything annually you like certainly that? certainly can. Um, you know, and if we're starting to think about putting these horses back in the barn or getting ready to do that, um, it's good to go in or wherever that's going to be in the stall or in the paddock or whatever, and just check them for, make sure there's number one, there's nothing that's kind of hanging out or sticking out that could injure the horse, you know, Mm, a nail head that's come loose, a wire in the paddock or whatever, just check for those kinds of things, um, so that there's no hazards out there. Um, same with with uh, maybe some of the tree limbs, if they hang down and get down low enough that they're at eye level with the horse, we're always, we always want to keep those trimmed back. And just, just those kind of basic first aid observations, if you will, for that. Um, certainly, if we're getting ready to go back in the, into a stall, we want fresh bedding. Disinfecting the stall, that's fine. If the stall has sat empty for several weeks or even months, that's really good to reduce a potential, what we call a bio burden or, you know, bacteria and viruses and those kind of things. They don't, they don't thrive in those dry environments. And so if that, if that stall is set empty and particularly if sunlight can get to it, 
Um, UV light mm-hmm. is also very detrimental, especially for viruses. So those are all good things. Uh, yeah. letting, letting the stall set idle for, for a period of time is, is actually a good way to help clean it up naturally. So those are some basic things to think about. Another thing in the, you know, that time of year, depending, especially in those horses that were campaigning pretty heavily, we may, it may be time to think about boostering them with some of the risk-based um, vaccines that we talked about earlier, particularly okay. the equine influenza and equine herpes virus vaccines, because many folks are going to continue to show into the fall. And again, mixing with, with other horses, those types of things. And so it's sometimes it's really good to booster those horses about every six months with those viral antigens or those viral vaccines. Um, because the the immunity to those viruses and those vaccines doesn't last as long as like to rabies and tetanus and all the core antigens we talked about earlier. So uh, a six-month booster, late summer, early fall, that's a good time to think about that if you're going to continue to campaign or show that horse for the next two or three months. Mm-hmm. Or trail riding or anything where you're out with others. Anything keep, where you're mixing yeah. with other horses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. And then how do you, how do you wind down the year? Are there any other recommendations? I was going to ask you about blankets too, but. Sure. Um, blanketing, you know, that's. This it's your opinion. opinion. It's we, okay. <laughs> we probably over blanket horses. Um, okay. Now, if you're still going to, you know, if you need a good slick hair coat for showing purposes, I understand that. And blankets are certainly appropriate, but blankets for horses that are out there in paddocks and on the pasture, they're pretty much done showing or they're, you know, we just use them occasionally. Um, those horses do fine without blankets by and large. Um, let them grow their, their normal hair coat out mm-hmm. and just let them go. Uh, I'd rather do that. I think the blankets are just one more thing that they can entangle themselves with and or mm-hmm. catch on something and get excited. And then they, they end up hurting themselves over the whole deal. So uh, unless we really need to, to blanket those horses to keep their coat, you know, shiny and slick for show purposes or competition, I would rather not blanket those horses out there in the, in the pasture or paddock setting. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I think we're in agreement. I love that. Thank you. Um, and, uh, I appreciate that. Zoetis has let us borrow you for a little bit too. tell us where I know you mentioned AAEP, um, which is a wonderful resource, but, uh, where do they find you on Zoetis? Do they have a website or places well, you where bet. you can resource? Uh, I can, be happy to give you my email. My email is Kenton, K-E-N-T-O-N dot Morgan at Zoetis.com. And uh, I'm certainly happy to respond to email questions or anything like that. And then, of course, on our um, Zoetis homepage, we have a lot of information about horses. And they can you track sure down do. a lot of information. Yeah, there. you sure do. You've been around. AAP, Zoetis like has been around. For a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You bet. People know us by another name. You know, Pfizer was our name before Zoetis. We're the same company, same product, same people. We just changed our name. So many people are familiar with, with the Pfizer name and, and Pfizer acquired Fort Dodge Animal Health a few years ago. That's so right, that's all yeah. part of, of our umbrella organization, if you will. We, we took in the um, Fort Dodge equine products, which was a very popular line for many years and, and have maintained those lines now all through this transitional period. So Pfizer, Fort Dodge, now Zoetis, all pretty much the same products and the same folks. Very good. Yeah, 60 plus years, I think you all. Not you, not you personally, but 60 plus years doing this. Well, I'm getting close. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do have a vast knowledge, and I do appreciate it. And it's really nice of you to offer that that email address. People um, should take you up on it. At least look at the websites and see see any resources. And there's some other, other great websites. You mentioned the AAEP. And there are many places on the AP website that are open to the public. So you can go to AAP.org. There's a lot, you know, the vaccination guidelines that I mentioned, they're all there. Parasite control guidelines, anyone can access those. There's some great, great information on the AP website. And then AQHA, for many of our quarter horse mm-hmm. um, listeners, AQHA has a lot of great information on their website as well. Really good tips. Okay, for all you horse moms, there you go. You got a whole year's worth of projects to calendar. And and uh, and thank you, Dr. Morgan, for helping us out with all those. I threw some stuff at you, and you, you handle it really well. I appreciate all your help and your tips. Well, I appreciate getting to visit with you today. And, and in the future, I'm happy to do it again as, as the need arises.
Oh, we'd love to on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you very much. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than The magic in the language of Dear Monty, I have a seven-year-old quarter horse gelding that is a cribber. What should I do to get him to stop this? And second, will the other horses in my barn learn this bad habit from him? Monty's answer. Cribbing or crib biting is also called wind sucking and a few other colloquial names. It is a habit generally thought to be motivated by boredom. I've never seen a Mustang in the wild cribbing. Many of the old books will classify cribbing as a stable vice. This seems to be valid since it generally occurs where horses are kept in small confined spaces. A cure for cribbing has been sought for many, many decades. There are stories about trainers who use rather harsh techniques in an attempt to correct the habit of cribbing through training. I have never heard of the discovery of a successful system of training any horse not to crib. I believe that once the habit begins, it is with the horse for life. In recent years, certain veterinary colleges have studied and perfected a surgical technique that has been effective in about 85% of the cases treated. I've personally seen many horses that were corrected through this surgery and found that they were unable to collapse the pharynx and gulp air into the stomach. The University of Kentucky did an experiment in the 1960s and 1970s on whether or not one horse could learn to crib from one another. As I recall, their findings suggest that there is some learned habituation from one horse to another. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. And come March, he's headed back to England. That's March 3rd, 7th, and 17th. He'll be demonstrating at the colleges over there, and you can go for more information on that. I won't even describe all these funny names on all these colleges. And then March 24th, he's going to hop over to Dublin, Ireland for a Monty special training with three of his amazing certified instructors over there. They're really good Good horseman. And then April 21, he will be back in California in Thousand Oaks area for the West Coast Dressage Convention. That's part of the Master Series that he was with with Boyd Martin recently in January. And then May 23 and 24, that's in the middle of the week, we have a certified instructors meetup, but we also have it in conjunction with a moment of joint up symposium we're calling the movement. You can guess what that's about. Could have violence-free training involved. And then May 25 to 27, we have a horse sense and healing in the USA. And July 23 through August 3rd, we have a gentling wild horses course at Flag is at Farms. That's in California. And then we have August 6 through 10, a Monty special training back at Flag is at Farms in Solvang, California. That's, I'm, my gosh, I don't know if we're on our 10th year, but it could be. Wow. Mm. That's quite a calendar. If you didn't get all that saved in your long-term uh, memory files, you can find that all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com or you can give Flag is Up Farms a call. They have lovely, friendly, and knowledgeable people there. And the phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to www.horsemanshipradio.com where you'll find links, photos, and more information about today's guest. And we love your feedback, people. Helps us make this show better. Follow Monty on Facebook. Just look, type Monty Roberts. Look for the one with the blue check mark because that's the official Facebook page. Or right. You, that's right. Or you can follow Monty on Twitter. 
Monty tweets, and his handle is Monty underscore Roberts. Don't miss any episodes. Get the app. Go to horse. Go to your uh, telephone's app store. It can be an Android or a iPhone, and search Horse Radio Network and download the app. It's free and easy to use. Or you can be old school. Listen to that old school and subscribe <laughs> via iTunes. Yeah, that's old school. Remember when our kids didn't know what iTunes was? No. We're not. no I don't remember that. No. no, you don't remember that. Yeah. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. We have Omega Fields, Monty Roberts University, and we have Cavallo Horse and Rider. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>